Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey out there, all you rock and rollers. Welcome to the 93rd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, me. The Wolf, Mac B, coming to you right now from Amsterdam, or Greater Amsterdam. Was living right off Abbey Road for a few years, though. Made it through COVID and and loved being in London. Gonna go back to spend some time there, but wanted to get out of London for a little while. Wanted to get into Europe. COVID kind of stopped all that for a while, so I'm just glad I can see a little bit more of Europe while I'm over here, while I'm not in North America. And that's where I'm coming from now. Of course, my partner in crime, co-host Gary Action Jackson, will be joining us from the East Coast here very shortly. I just want to thank everybody for tuning in to our most recent uh, episode, number 92, about Foxtrot by Genesis, Turning 50. It's a really amazing album. And obviously, Steve Hackett, uh, our friend uh, and guest of the show on episode 87, that was a big album for him in the band. He plays Supper's Ready on his brand new live album and DVD, Genesis Revisited, Seconds Out Live Plus More. And on Friday the 9th of September, he kicks off his UK tour, Foxtrot at 50, where he and his incredible band will do the Foxtrot album in its entirety, front to back, and that of course includes the 23-plus minute epic, Supper's Ready, which ends the record. So for all you people in the UK who love Genesis or Steve Hackett, get out and see him on this tour. Pretty extensive tour, I think it's more than 20 dates, maybe 25 dates, something like that, Uh, and he will extend it into Europe in 2023, and we're hoping North America as well. So please check out that show, check out episode 87 uh, with our interview with Steve about the live album, the Seconds Out Live Tour, and preparation for this one. Also have to mention that we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a a network of about a hundred different podcasts of all genres of music. There's something in there for everybody. We always give shout outs to our rock friends who have been on our show or we've been on theirs before, which includes Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks, Tom and Zeus, the Kiss Kings of the Shout It Out Loud cast. You got Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks. And a brand new podcast coming out soon, Rock is Lit, hosted by our sister, Christy Alexander Hallberg. Can't wait to hear. She's got Susie Quattro coming up on one of her first shows. And you never know who else might be on her shows over time. So you may want to tune into that one. Maybe subscribe if you want to hear from people you know. Hint, hint, wink, wink. And I have to let you know that we are sponsored by the coolest podcast sponsor in the world. That's rarevinyl.com. Rare Vinyl has been in business for almost 40 years. They have over a quarter of a million items in stock, and they take incredible care to ensure that everything stays in pristine shape, whether it's when they receive it, when they put it on their website, or when they ship it off to you. You can also go to EIL.com. It's basically their sister site. But use the code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, for all your purchases. It'll save you 10%. They ship all over the world, so I don't care if you're in the United States or Uruguay, the United Kingdom, or down under in Australia. You find something you like, it's going to be in great shape. 
you could buy it from them. Use the code podcast, save your 10%. It should probably knock off your shipping anyway. And get pristine, hard-to-find, rare vinyl items from rarevinyl.com, our amazing sponsor. Now, this week, we return to one of our very, very, very favorite bands, and that's Rush. Uh, and those who follow the show know that Rush is one of my top three bands of all time. They're huge for Jackson. I really take credit for turning Jackson on to Rush when we were in college, mostly thanks to the double CD compilation Chronicle, which, which had a couple songs really off every album they did from the beginning all the way through 1990. And that kind of whetted his appetite for more. And then while we were together as roommates, they released Roll the Bones, uh, and they did the Roll the Bones tour, which we camped out for and went to see both of our first Rush shows. And it was really important for me as far as that solidified them as, as one of my favorite bands of all time. I never missed a tour after that. Saw them on every tour. Saw them 12 times overall. And this September is the 40th anniversary for one of their best albums and just a big turning point for them, right? It, it, it's an important point of time for them, and that signals. Now, it turns out September is actually a very big release month for Rush over the years. Because it turns out that in 1975, they released Caress of Steel, which is almost no one's favorite Rush album and almost led to the end of the band, some might say. But also, A Farewell to Kings uh, was released in 1977 on September the 1st. Mentioned Signals, which we're going to be talking about here today, Hold Your Fire in 1987. That was a September release. Roll of Bones, which I just mentioned, 1991, while we were freshmen at Rollins College, was released. Test for Echo, 1996, was big for them. But also, their first live album, All the World's a Stage, September 29th, 1976. And the before-mentioned Chronicle, the double album, which really turned me and Jackson on big time to Rush. Just gave us a flavor of all of their tunes and what we've been missing through the years. That was released September 4th, 1990. It has been a big part of our lives and influence on us ever since. Look, 1982 was an interesting time for Rush, okay? they just done moving pictures with Tom Sawyer, with Red Barchetta, with Witch Hunt and Limelight. Huge hit, still the biggest record they've ever done. Multi-platinum in the U.S., Canada, and some other places around the world. Huge radio success with Tom Sawyer. Then they did the big tour, and then they wrapped up their second quadrant of the 70s and early 80s with the live album Exit, Stage Left. So now, what do they do? Well, Rush has never been one to sit on their laurels, and they didn't want to just make moving pictures, too. So they wanted to find a new way to express themselves, take advantage of some of the technology and changes in music that were happening at the time, uh, and mix that with their sound that they'd hewn over the last decade or so. And the result was Signals, uh, which was very keyboard-driven, laden with a lot of synths and new sounds, not only on the keyboard, but some drum parts as well. And it starts off with the brilliant subdivisions, with that prodding, bassy, big, heavy keyboards, kind of industrial, changing the mood of, of what Rush would be. Kind of presented a bit of a challenge for guitarist Alex Lyson, as he's used to being that kind of middle ground, and now the keyboard is suddenly taking up some of that space. But it's a transition they kind of worked throughout the 80s, uh, and people have different opinions of Rush during the 80s. But I think they remained an incredible music trio. Yes, their sound changed a little bit given the times. But this album has an amazing theme set by lyricist and drummer Neil Peart. And it's about growing up. It's about what you face as a young man or young person, as a teenager in high school, really 
through adulthood and into death and beyond. And he's such a good writer. He's such a good lyricist. It's such a huge loss to the world, not just to Rush fans in the music world, but to the world in general when an artist and a light like Neil Peart is lost. And it's hard to believe it's it's already been, what, two and a half years since we lost him. So we're going to dive into that. We're going to dive deep into Signals. It's an amazing Rush album. It was important for them at the time. Jackson and I probably didn't listen to it as much as we should have back in the day. But now, it's absolutely one of our very favorites. And you can see as we rank that against the other Rush albums we've reviewed. So let's get to it, guys. We're talking Rush Signals on its 40th anniversary right here on The Wolf. I'm still, I can't believe, I'm so jazzed over this whole Nick Mason tour thing, Jackson. It's amazing. It is amazing. When I when I read the information that was presented, I, I, I was floored. Yeah, for our listeners, I don't know if we're really supposed to start doing it this far in advance, but I can't help it. And it's already on social media, so it's not like you don't know this. Pantheon Podcast, which is like our parent company, our, the network that we're a part of with a hundred or so great music podcasts. We have formed a partnership with Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets. And we and our fellow podcasters are going to be at different stops along the tour where we'll be interacting with the band, giving you updates as they kind of get ready throughout the day, maybe do some live broadcasting, be at the show. Those with merch might be able to sell it and stuff like that. But the really cool part is if you go to PantheonPodcast.com, you can click in there and click to win like front row seats to get Nick Mason. Yeah, that, Which, that's the, that's, that's when I read that. Yeah, I was like, okay, because, oh, yeah, we're going to be there. Or, you know, people from Pantheon will be there. That's fun. Okay, I'm sure it would be great to hear. But, yeah, when I heard that people could win, like, VIP tickets, okay, that just ramped it up a whole nother area because that's really cool. I mean, to not only to see the show, but to get to win this and and to absolutely. And at every show, all the way across the country. And you're like, Mistress Carrie's going to be at the Boston show. And mm-hmm. I think Jay from the Hook Rocks is going to be at the Chicago show. And, and we're going to be, well, we, we, we're looking to be at the Indie Show along with Music Buzz podcast, which uh, has three hosts, one of, Hugh, one of which is, one of whom, I should say, is Hugh Syme. Hugh, of course, being mm-hmm. the artist. That did, well, he did so much great artwork over the years. He's he's really associated mostly with Rush, as he did most all of their concepts. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly from like 2112 on, uh, he did the White Snake cover that we just did with Sonny Pooney a couple of uh, shows back. Mm-hmm. Uh, talented artists, obviously, their show Music Buzz. Some of they they are based in Indianapolis, so I think they're going to be there as well. But it's it's a cool way to promote, right? I mean, yes, radio stations are important. Podcasting is huge now, right? And so to have so cool, you know, that they're sponsored the tour, and I'd like to think that we had a small role to play in getting that. Obviously, Peter and Christian, who are the gurus at Pantheon, negotiated this deal with Nick's Mace, Nick Mason's management, but mm-hmm. they did tell us that after hearing our show. Now, they said that the management heard our show on me seeing them live at Royal Albert Hall and then us discussing it. Mm-hmm. They said, they liked your old show. And I'm like, when you say they, their manager liked it? <laughs> Nick Mason like liked everybody it? everybody? Did Guy and Gary like it? Because they've got a great podcast, The Rock on Tours. So does that mean any of them will be on our show? We don't know all the details yet. We just know that you can go to pantheonpodcast.com Click on the link for Nick Mason. You can't miss it. 
and enter to win tickets and go ahead and buy tickets, but then enter to win and maybe you'll get upgraded and then you'll have the opportunity to go on a show, one of the Pantheon podcast show, either somebody who is at the, at the show that night or you come on our show maybe if you come to the indie show and say hi, we'd love to meet you. It's a pretty neat opportunity to see this incredible band and you can hear what is our episode 75, I think it is, around mm-hmm. there. Learn about my experience basically sitting on a stage at Royal Albert Hall. That's what it'll be like to be front row if you win. Great can night. You, the band's amazing. Can we talk about what you're going to win? Yeah, you, go you ahead. Get, you get a pair. Okay, so if you win the if you win the whole thing, you get a pair of front row tickets. You get a commemorative guitar pick shaped necklace carved down from a drum symbol played by Nick Mason. Okay, Ooh. that's that's yeah, that's a one of a kind deal. That's fancy. Uh, a selection of curated exclusive VIP merchandise, commemorative VIP uh, laminate and lanyard. Always cool to show your friends. All right, crowd free shopping at a dedicated merchandise stand before the show. On-site perks such as priority check-in, VIP express lane into the venue for ease of entry, whenever possible, (laughs) and a dedicated customer service line. And then, optional, you can be a guest on a Pantheon podcast. How big is that? That To me, that's the big one. To be on a show, yes, I know. I mean, that's cool, but to be on the podcast, once in a lifetime. Once in a lifetime, or once (laughs) a week if you're right. But it's just it's good. It's going to be fun, and I'm just glad that we can go see a show together this year because right. that was probably not going to happen. And you know, in the fact that I know we have a lot of listeners in uh, Louisville, where I'm from, and in Ohio and uh, Indiana, you know, you get a chance come see the show and come say hello. You mm-hmm. know, we if you actually listen to the show, we'd love to meet you. We'd love to hear from you. Like to to know more about you. And hey, give me a snippet. Maybe we'll just put you on the show anyway. We'll see. To ask you to ask you what's wrong with you. Why would you listen to the show? <laughs> yeah. How much free time do you really have? <laughs> Don't you think you should get a job or maybe a second job or something? <laughs> no, no. We we appreciate our listeners very very much. Both of them. Absolutely. It, yes. <laughs> it, it, it actually it actually we're we're fully around here but it would actually be really awesome to meet people who listen to the show and like it because i mean that's why we're doing it no doubt or even some of the other shows like you listen mm-hmm. to the hook rocks by jay scott come down and say hello we love his show you like shout it out loudcast like we do come to the show bring a filet of fish sandwich box if you want to you know ace <laughs> won't be playing but it'd still be fun to see you <laughs> but So we'll segue, I guess, a very poor segue, into the album we want to talk about today. And that's one that's pretty important, I would say, to us, even though it wasn't an album we listened to Mm -hmm. together, because I don't think I bought it until after we didn't live together anymore. But then I remember after buying it, I listened to it all the time, thinking, why didn't I buy this before, you know? And that's Signals by Rush, uh, which is celebrating its 40th and fellow Pantheon podcaster Hugh Syme did do the cover for this one as he's done so many and we can talk a little bit about it because it is one that gets uh, some attention after all these years mm-hmm. but i mean we can talk about how i mean we've talked about on the show before how big rush is to us how it's my band it's one of my top three favorite bands all time how we camped out for tickets to see roll the bones together on the sidewalk you know only time we've ever done that our our show seven and eight we're all about Rush, you know, a year after the passing of Neil. We've also done one on Roll the Bones and, and Cinema Strangiato. But I thought this would be a good one to do because it is turning 40. And it was one, this is a record that changed things for the band in a big way. This is a huge 
turning point for Rush in their history and in their evolution of how they made their music. And I think it's one that kind of gets maybe forgotten about a little bit because they have this giant catalog of albums that people really love. And, and and my problem was I in in high school I only knew you know Tom Sawyer right and maybe a little bit off of you know twenty one twelve that I'd heard and I was like eh you know maybe this is not for me but then yeah when I started to listen to the entire catalog I realized how how massive the sound was that they could put out and and how and the progression of how they went through they started off you know with more of a rock sound and mm-hmm. then you know full disclosure on this one if you're Mr or Mrs I don't like synth rush you're not going to like this record but it, but it is a progression because you figure you know you come off making uh moving pictures which mm-hmm. was huge then you have exit stage left which is kind of a you know the in between live album but now you you know th- this is a big what do we do now do we just do moving pictures again that would be easy it would be a hit do a standard on your head or do you try something new? Do you progress a little farther? And they definitely did on this record. Yeah. And it's interesting because in reading some research about this, they basically say moving pictures kind of fell together. Like it was so simple. Like it just, mm-hmm. it just happened. And then boom, there it was. Whereas this one, you know, they're trying to push the envelope. They don't want to make moving pictures too. Mm-hmm. And all three of them, not just Getty, but all three of them want to push the envelope of technology and finding out, you know, mini mogs and, and how all this keyboard stuff can work in here. And so it is a bit of a divider in that, yes, they start to experiment more. That synth sound is right up front. And from the very first notes of subdivisions you started, it's obvious this is not your father's Rush record. This is a new technological one. And a lot of people who like the old heavy Canadian Zeppelin, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like they miss that a little bit. They're like, nope, this is not for me. A, a lot of musicians love Rush, but a lot of those same musicians will say, as soon as this happens, this is when I tune out. And that's too bad. It really is too bad because if you can open yourself up to other sounds, this is a really good record. And I think that you would enjoy it if you could get over that hump of it's not just guitar, bass, drums. Yeah, it's not 2112. It's not this epic story you know about the people who control the galaxy and all that kind of stuff it, it doesn't have all the story te- well it, no it's got great storytelling i was gonna neil, say neil Pert's an amazing writer man yeah <laughs> there there may be i mean if, if you look hard enough i think there is a theme in here even though they're telling you it's it's not really there is i think there's definitely a theme and and the songs do go together Absolutely. And, and they always seem to. And, and they just don't always push it. It's not obvious. It's not in their mm-hmm. face. And when they do interviews, they don't always bring it up. It's something you kind of have to piece together yourself and piece together over the years. Well, and, and I think that's the, the big insider joke, I guess, or insider story of Rush fans. You know, everybody's like, yeah, they don't talk about it a lot. So it's open for interpretation and you can you can listen to these things and you can. I know there are are interviews where if somebody pokes at him, especially Neil, it's like, yeah, okay, that's you're right. That's what we were trying to do there. You figured it out, but he's not going to tell you. So it's like, oh, I know a secret about this. So, yeah, it's it's a very dense record and there are themes in there if you if you poke at it hard enough and let's kind of examine where rush are in 1982 when this comes out in in september of 82 right they they've just done moving pictures which is like their first number one in canada it gets huge in america you know tom sawyer gets on rock radio everywhere Mm. they do a big tour they do the exit stage left 
live album. And it kind of completes the end of their their second of their four quadrants of their career, which goes from the 70s to about, what, 1999 or something like that. They had a system mm -hmm. where they would make four records, four studio records, and then they'd make a live album. Right. right. And they are in order, All the World's a Stage, Exit Stage Left, A Show of Hands, and then Different Stages, which, which captures them kind of throughout the years. It's fantastic. So they make four studio albums and do that. And it always kind of wrapped up an era, right? Mm -hmm. All the world of stage kind of brought the end of the first era of the band, like where they're just working hard. They're trying to find their sound. They're trying to figure out who they are. They're playing 250 dates a year all over the world, killing themselves. And finally they get 2112. They realize, okay, we can make these epic masterpieces with a story and all that, right? Mm -hmm. Their second phase, which includes stuff like, Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres, Permanent Ways, where they start to get a little poppier uh, with some of those songs. And then, of course, the big one, Moving Pictures. That shows them kind of evolving, too, right? We're doing these long ones, but okay, now we may always have a long one, like Natural Science, like The Camera Eye. But we're also going to do it in condensed four, four and a half, five-minute songs, not just these big old long things. And it doesn't all have to be a... 2112, you know, Hemisphere's kind of epic thing. Right. And then this kicks off, okay, now we are doing synth. We are doing something a little poppier. The songs are shorter, even though for some bands they're still kind of long, but a 43-plus-minute record, there's only eight songs on here. But, I mean, most of them are between four and five and a half minutes. Some are a little bit longer, but... But they're, they're trying to, to find their way in, in the pop world and take advantage of this new technology. Right. And, and they all are. I mean, even, you know, you got Getty who plays the, the synth, but you also have Neil messing around with drum patterns and, and different ways that he can, you know, activate the, the symbols. Well, not symbols, but the, the programmer um, pad that he's got to make right. different sounds. And then you've got Alex messing around with, I know he's got a whole pedal board that he uses. So yeah, all three of them are saying, yeah, how do we push the envelope? And not just, it's not just pushing it to one person playing the synth. Right. No, that's, that's right. You know, and, but it was, so it's tough for Alex, right? Because he's usually that middle ground, you know, Getty's bass uh, voice is up high, the bass and drums are down low. He would fill that mid-range. He would do the solos, right? Mm -hmm. The songs are based off guitar riffs. And Subdivisions was the first one they kind of built around the keyboard ever. And, you know, he he admits that there were some times when he was in the studio, like, we need to we need to push the guitar up in this mix. And then Terry Brown, who was their longtime producer, would just kind of smile at him and slide the levers back down. <laughs> like, you're going down in the mix. But Terry, this was basically his last work with them, right? He, right. I think he started as an engineer maybe on Fly By Night or something like that. And then he was their producer from Caress of Steel through this one. Mm -hmm. And I think he just had problems with some of the stuff they did, like the reggae bit that they put into, was it New World Man? Which obviously Neil had picked up from listening to the police. He and Stuart Copeland had this huge mutual admiration society for each other. Yeah. Um, plus they're, they're a trio just like they are not having the success that, that the police would have, although moving pictures was big, but it wasn't as big as synchronicity, which would come well, out in 1983. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but that shows you what kind of person Lifeson is too, that he could take that. I don't want to say demotion, but that, that kind of a, a step back role 
but still still be there to, to do his part, just not so much out in front. Yeah, that's right. And Neil said he just changed a little bit. He says, really what happened is as soon as Ged's doing keyboard, it's not about bass, then the rhythm section becomes me and Alex working mm. together, you know? And so now we're interacting in a different way on stage that we're used to, you know? And Alex is a pro, so we make it work. But so yeah, it's, it's a pretty big evolution. It's one that turned a lot of people off, but obviously it helped them gain new fans because people love this album, especially the opening track, subdivisions right and i wonder too you were talking about the album cover and mm -hmm. and hugh how does it even work like do they come to you and say okay we want you to work i mean you've worked with us before you know you know kind of what we want but we want you to do the new record okay what's it called signals okay well that's pretty wide open right. um I, and so i wonder what was was the final concept was that the first thing he thought of or there are several other things that were brought to them you know how do you how do you make this one word title into a visual thing that fits into what you're doing and also i mean we've talked about this before it, kids going to the record store and saying flipping through it and say well what is this this is interesting i want to mm -hmm. take a look at it you put it all together with a dog and a fire hydrant and that's it and one word and boom there you go i mean it everything works but how do you get there yeah i, I listened to q talk about this on their podcast music buzz I think one day they decided, let's interview Hugh. We've got Hugh. Let's 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 get him on, right? Talk yeah. about some of his great work over the years. He said Rush was usually pretty good about giving you a concept and giving you time, especially later in their careers. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he he I guess they they told him about this, obviously working with Neil and you know, he actually played synth Hugh. He played on a few different albums, but he played the synth on Witch Hunt on the previous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, album so i thought will he be on the weapon fear part two or part two of fear but no he wasn't he was <laughs> just quote unquote doing the cover on this one <laughs> it's like signals i had to mean a lot of different things but i think he picked up on chemistry which is the what the third song of the album yeah and that that sent a signal to his brains like okay yes you know then and it's stark right the red fire hydrant the mm -hmm. stark green astroturf grass the black and white dog it uh, you know it, it does it is a bit of an image I don't know. And then the, the back cover, which to me is always just as important mm -hmm. to, to the people who buy the records. It's a blueprint of a subdivision, right? Right. And, and he said that might have been too subtle and like too cheeky or too above. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's I mean, those are subdivisions. That's that's exactly what you're trying to communicate there. And of course, now they're they're playing with a new technology, too, in MTV. They're suddenly doing videos for their songs as well which changes the game and you can see when they do the subdivision video how it can really communicate what they're trying to get through right i i've I just i would love to have seen the process of how you start to where you get to everybody's on the same page i know with moving pictures it's more of like a it's a pun you know they're moving pictures and they're moving pictures haha -ha. but yeah just it just it has to be it has to be totally different but capture everything that we want to in one photo go mm -hmm or what one image and that's you know that's why they're talented people and we're here correct and we're just talking about them we can't do our own thing we can just tell you what we think of your yeah thing. it's our own thing it's just about other people's own <laughs> things right yeah absolutely hi this is carl palmer and you're listening to the ugly american werewolf all right so now let's let's get into it now i mean starting with subdivisions and let's talk about our understanding of this song. I mean, like you said, you didn't really know Rush in high school. Mm -hmm. I got into Rush 
from Presto, which was the album okay. they released, and the, the, the first of their fourth quadrant there uh, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Them ditching the, the synths and going back to a power trio kind of thing. Yeah. And then right after that, they did the double CD Chronicle, which right. basically took two songs off of every album over the years, couple of live tracks, and then, you know, Show Don't Tell from, from Presto to give you, it wasn't just the greatest hits, and there may have been three off of movie pictures, but it wasn't just the greatest hits, although I would argue that mostly those are their greatest hits, but it was just to kind of showcase the talent of the band over this time, which would have been, you know, about 15, 16 years at the time, then we meet up in college and I played for you. And I'm like, I love Rush. You're like, yeah, they got you know, mm. one or two songs, mm. right? And then you start listening to all these. You're like, there's a <laughs> Whoa, lot to it. Wait a minute, there? wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm missing the boat here. Yeah, it, it's a Chronicles is a great, there are no losers on that uh, package. Every time you get a greatest hits uh, CD from anyone, there's always one or two like, yeah, I don't love it all. You love every single track on that from the beginning to the end. Yeah. The, the, my only, my only critique of it is that they do have three tracks off of moving pictures, Tom Sawyer, Red Barchetta and uh, YYZ. And they only have one track off of Presto, which is show don't tell. And I really love superconductor. Mm. And I thought they should have put, I mean, come on, you can't put one more track on there. Come on. Well, you know, it, it is a space thing. A. Yeah. B, you're talking about the biggest record they ever did and will ever do versus the one that just came out. I mean, like when they made Chronicle, they may not have had a second single out. You know, right? <laughs> uh, so like, okay, put the new one on there. Let's go. Let's ship it. Let's get it out yeah. there, you know, kind of thing. So who knows? But Subdivisions is a fan favorite mm -hmm. and they've played it a ton over the years. And when they don't play it, People are a little bummed. I would be bummed. I would be bummed if I if I saw them go through the whole show and not play subdivisions. It's just that that riff at the beginning. I mean, I guess you could call it a riff. It's a keyboard riff, not a guitar riff, but it acts like the like the classic guitar riff, and it's instantly recognizable. And it's a great way to start a show, to start an album, but also start a show. Yeah, man, that heavy. Yeah, it can only be one thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then when they go through the first chorus and everything, they come back to it, and it even sounds more powerful. Yeah, Pow more powerful than it was in the beginning. It's huge, and obviously, it's about growing up, right? It, and being in high school or or thereabouts, almost there. Right. And and the challenges you face, and like you're in the subdivisions, you're you're not in the glowing neon of the city because you're not a grown up yet, and you're not in the vast wasteland past the suburbs, right? Which is just like mountains and forests and evil beasts and all that kind of stuff, right? <laughs> Whatever um, they have in Canada, I don't know. You know, well, I don't know. You know, no, people in Canada are nice, but even kids in high school in Canada can be a little mean sometimes. So it's hard to kind of get through that whole time in your life. And Neil, you know, I think does a very good job of it in accounting for that. I mean, he says it's, it's really, it's just about me kind of thing, but it's, it's universal. I mean, everybody yeah, feels I, I was going to say, <laughs> it, it, and, and this is one of the, well, not this one, but I mean, Rush in general, if you, you can listen to the song, but if you really go and listen to the lyrics, they're all, he doesn't, he doesn't really throw in anything that's just fluff. I mean, this, this is pretty, this is pretty nasty. Everybody can relate to this. Everybody can relate to being in this, you're trapped in this little box. You know, you have to 
you have to act a certain way and look a certain way to be accepted. And if you're not, you're a freak and they're going to throw you out. What I'd love to know too is the beginning part, we were talking about the riff. The music is always written by, credited to Lee and Lifeson, right? right. But that can't be. What, he, they had to have come up with that riff and then just said, a lot of space for Neil because he's going to come in there and he's going to fill this. And it's just the way that he does that at the beginning, adding so much to that intro riff is it's, it's amazing to me. So the, the, they had to leave the space for him to do his thing. And I can imagine there's a the note, like we do this, Neil does his thing. Mm -hmm. Let's go. Yeah. Cause it's not just that it's mm, pop, pop, mm, pop, pop, mm, right. doo -doo -doo. he's yes. all over the place. Yes. Not to mention writing all the lyrics, right? But, I mean, you know, subdivisions in the high school halls, in the shopping malls, can form or be cast out mm -hmm. in the basement bars, in the back of backs of cars, you know? And I just, I'm like, that's like, <laughs> that's real close to home. That's real close to home, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and it's also boys and girls, right? Where do mm -hmm. they feel pressure? They're in the basement bar, right? They're in the back of a car, and like, well, I, the senior guy wouldn't have asked me out if he didn't think I was ready for this, right? It's like, yeah, right. I don't know, sweetie. You kind of got to make up your own decision there. It's like, oh god, I don't want the guys to not think I'm cool, so I'll chug these four beers and then just see what happens to me, right? Yeah, you got to be careful, and it's hard to know. Who's your friend and who's on your side? You got all these hormones going, you know. Mm -hmm. and you're you're making new friends. You're losing lifelong friends. It's like, oh, this is a it, tough place to be. <laughs> it, it's rough, and you know, you're saying in the bar, like you know, especially as a as a guy, it, thinking to yourself, like you know, it, at least when we were growing up, it was it was kind of thought that the the guy would approach the girl. Mm -hmm. What do I say? What do I do? I don't know how to be, you know, what, what's my line going to be? How do I get this done? I'm scared out of my mind that this is not going to work, that she'll reject me. It's mm -hmm. yeah, it's a rough time. Not that yeah. you ever really figure out how to do it, uh, ladies and gentlemen, but it's, it, it's very rough at that point in time. Yeah. Any escape might help yeah. soothe the unattractive truth that the suburbs have no charms to soothe the restless dreams of youth. God, I mean, <laughs> Can't can't get any closer to home on that one, man. That's just yep, right. You know, yeah. and Getty using a little range lit up like a firefly. You know, he could use his whole range on it. Right. It's Neil saying subdivisions, which is pumped in there. Which I don't know if Getty triggers that or if Neil triggers that with one of his things or if that's someone on the board. I don't know. And and Alex, look, I mean, he may have stood up to get more guitar in the mix, and it didn't go over so well. But I think the solo that he adds here is perfect because it's a lot of keyboard solo. And then he comes in and, and he gets it up high, too. So maybe he does four bars instead of eight, you know, or, or four instead of 12 that he might usually do in a solo. Mm -hmm. But it fits in there so well. Iconic song, huge for the band and timeless as far as are there kids going to high school this year who don't know what to do? We're going to be put in some of these situations. Yes, there are. It will never end. It, it, was, it will never be a meaningless song. It just kind of depends on how old you are. Well, and even it, it, some of it doesn't really depend on how old you are. I mean, you know, you, you work in an office and there's clicks in the office and, you know, how do I talk to the boss and how do I get this thing done? And, you know, you always kind of have that 15-year-old you 
Yeah, somewhere in the back that's still, you know, that's still uncertain or unscared or, or, you know, scared of how this is going to work out. You know, I got a big, I got a big, big meeting to go to. How is this going to go? You always kind of have that fear. And then to me, the, the, the subdivisions, that's always like the, it's like you're, it's pushing you back down. You know, this is what's happening. You know, you can't get out of this. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, it's, this is a heavy duty song. Yeah, and and the key, I mean, it's almost ominous. Yeah. It's heavy keyboard. It's not. It's right. no. It's it's heavy duty, right? So so I think I don't know. Is this the theme of the man growing up over time? You know, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. It's not like he's okay. starting as a baby. He's starting as a teenager. You know? right. right. And then next song, the analog kid. I feel like is is kind of more of the same. This is a this is a beautiful song, and I'm pretty sure they played this. The tour after we saw. So what was that, Counterparts? I think they played this yeah. on Counterparts. And I remember just, wow, man, that was really amazing live. Because after we had Chronicles, and then I had, let's see, I had what Moving Pictures on tape, I had Presto, and then we got Roll the Bones, right. you know, when we went to see Roll the Bones. And then I guess I decided, okay, I need more Rush discs in my collection. Why don't I go get signals because it has subdivisions and i love subdivisions mm -hmm. so the time around making subdivisions let's see what else they got and this was the first one that i kind of fell in love with that i didn't know when i heard it because i think it's, it's fast paced but it's also a beautiful song and if you listen to it it's kind of that same god what do i do you know do i grow up and move on do i stay in the womb you know am i a boy am i a man i don't know what do you think about this one I think it's it's kind of the same, but it's also kind of different because to me, it's like the kid can be anything. Now, instead of the subdivisions and, you know, you're you're segmented into this thing, he's lying in the grass thinking, yeah, I can do anything I want, but there's consequences. Yeah. If you what is that behind, thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I've got something here and I know what it is in this place where I am, but mm -hmm. I can I can go and do anything. But if I leave, leave it behind. You know, I'm, I'm going to lose touch with friends. I'm going to lose touch with family. You know, I can be successful. What do I do? The world is my oyster, but it, it is more upbeat. And so I like it. It's a nice change of pace because, yeah, when you think about it, subdivisions, it's kind of a downer, but this, a is, bit. this is a little more hopeful. Yeah, no, this is talking about how hard it could be. I'm sorry, subdivision about how hard to be, how cruel people can be when you're faced with these decisions and you might get uh, caught in a ticking trap like a rat. You never know. Yeah. This is like we're, we're past that now. You know, now it's the summertime, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm thinking, well, I need to go out. You know, I need to go do something in this world, but what will it be? You know, I, I need to go out and meet people. Should I leave behind my old girl? Should I leave behind mom and dad? And the changes in tempo, because you're right, it's an upbeat, boom, 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 rocking yeah. along song. And then they get to like the chorus, you move me, you move me, big keys on it, kind of overwhelming, you know, the chorus and everything, changing the mood, changing the tempo, you move me, you move me. Before I really understood this song, when I first came to it 10, well, it's 30 years ago now, 10 years <laughs> after it came out, but it's 30 years ago. Mm. We're saying, you call me, call me. I thought that was a kid whining, like, I don't have anybody to call me. Like, I'm dreaming about being out in the world, but I'm not. I'm just kind of in my insulated little world of my own. And it was, it was like he was begging or whining, please call me, which wasn't really the case. It was like, this world is calling me. It's calling right. me. Yeah. I didn't get it back in. But that's the way I took it. So I'm like, well, this is kind of whiny. This is not the tough guy image that I'm cultivating around my metal <laughs> my metal frame, right? But, but how cool is that when you... When you figure that out, like you listen to it, I don't know how many times, and then the next time, 
oh, hey, wait a minute. He's that's that, what it means. <laughs> that's, and then you go back to, you're a genius, Neil. Thank you. He is. Yeah. He is. And, and the last lines are so true for anybody. And it doesn't even have to be a kid leaving house. It could be a, about a guy who leaves his home in America to go live in England or Europe for years, right? It's like, like a crazy person. Yeah, it's like, when I leave, I don't know what I'm hoping to find. And when I leave, I don't know what I'm leaving behind. Right. And yeah. Like you, you don't know what you got till it's gone, and you don't even know what you're running towards. You just know you're running. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 you're in the the bottom line is that you are going to find great things, but you are going to lose things too. That's the way it works. You can't have it all. You have to accept that. And I, I think they encapsulate that very well in this song. And Alex does some uh, some ass kicking on the solo too. He really does. He does a good job throughout. That's yeah. all him. But uh, look, or is it about a kid falling in love? Is another question. Is this him? His, yeah. You know those first feelings of love, which right. are so powerful when you're that age. Not that you can't be in love when you're fifty or sixty or something like that, or fall in love with someone like that. But those those first. Those first feelings of love are, are incredibly powerful and hard to understand. Right. Uh, and, and, you know? Yeah. And, and hard to deal with. Yeah. I mean, you're you're up a thousand percent one second and then you're, you know, you're rock bottom and you, you, yeah, you can't control it. Right. You know, whereas, you know, if if you're 50 like we are and you fall in love, uh, you know, with somebody, your friends will be like, oh, yeah, that's good for you. And if your parents are still around, it's like, oh, I'm just glad you found love again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you're 14, it's like, I think I'm in love. Oh, Gary's got a girlfriend. You know, and then you got teachers Shut making up, fun of you. You got the girls making fun of you. You got your buddies making fun of you. You got your parents making fun of you. You got your coach ragging you out in practice. Like, okay, we're breaking up. I don't want to listen yeah, to this. I can't take this. <laughs> I don't like this, you know. <laughs> so that's another thing that makes it hard when you're a kid, you know. Yeah. But I think that kind of spills over into chemistry, too. Because right. obviously chemistry is about that magic that two people can feel that there really isn't any way to explain it. Yeah. But when you get there, then, you know, ah, I see what they were talking about. Yeah. This one's a little slower, but it, but it still, it still has that kind of rocking undertone to it. Um, and it seems like they've moved the synth a little more in the back on this. Yeah. Alex is doing some good work. You know, it's kind of spirit of radio kind of, you know, uh, riff that he's kind of got on this thing going. Yeah. I mean, I assume this is about love between two people. But what's interesting is that Getty and Alex got to write a little bit of lyrics on this one. It wasn't mm-hmm. just music by them, lyrics by Neil. They got to foray into that a little bit. And I think this is the song that kind of sparked the cover idea for Hugh. But yeah, big keyboards in it. But like you say, is it is it towards the back a little bit in some way? And, and towards the end, Alex does make some noise and get to do a, a solo. But that's kind of the way it ends. There's not really that huge middle or two-thirds solo it's more like at the end the solo and it's interesting too you're talking about uh getty and alex writing lyrics it's interesting that again the story of rush is is incredible that three guys could work together that long um and be successful and still be friendly to have neil say hey if you've got something throw it in there that's fine it's not like no this is mine and i i only do this and you can't have this part of it. it if it works do it well, they're Canadians, so they're nice people. I understand that. Anyway, but that's still, not like that's still a long time. <laughs> yeah, Americans would be like, no, this is mine. Get no. away from me. Well, I, mean, I think at that point it hadn't been 10 years because Neil didn't join till like 74 or so. Well, that's true, yeah. Getty and Alex had been together a heck of a long time since they were like 12 or, 10 or something <laughs> like that. But, you know, Neil, you know, he didn't join. He's the new guy. 
right? right. Uh, took over for John Rutsey. And so they, they hadn't been together 10 years yet, but they had logged a lot of miles together and, and done some amazing stuff together. So I, I don't like chemistry as much as I like the analog kid. Mm-hmm. But it fits. I but mean, it fits. It definitely yeah. fits in, yeah. And and it kind of, I mean, again, their, their quote unquote is no theme in this record, but I mean, it kind of, it kind of goes together. I mean, we're talking about, you know, are, are we picking up stuff from the analog kid, you know, the whole, you know, being a teenager, it, it, how you're moving through the world, you know, how you interact. I mean, you know, you were talking about being in love, but I mean, chemistry is even with someone that you're not in love with. I mean, can mm-hmm. you work with, can you work with somebody who's not like you? Can you interact with someone, you know, like it, it's, there are people that you like and there are people you don't like. That's just right. how it works. I mean, and you can't really, Put your finger on it. Yeah, no, that's right. And some people say, well, this is obviously about the band because there's a line of there, one, two, three. There's three yeah. of them. I'm like, yeah, okay, that, that could be it, yes. I mean, <laughs> there could be a lot of things going on. It's, it's amazing to see a song, especially one that's been out this long, that has such a diverse fan as Rush fans are. And to mm-hmm. see how the different takes people take on their lyrics. But And obviously there's been so much research done into Neil, but he was so private that there's also a heck of a lot of speculation as to what, like if you say, Neil, was this about this, 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 and this? He'd be like, fine, yes, you're right. But he's not going to say, this song is about this, 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 and this. Like he's right. not just going to offer it. So a lot of people have their speculation about that. But but, but that's but that's the, that's the good part. It's like, it's, you know, I mean, you can listen to Girls, Girls, Girls at the Dollhouse in Fort Lauderdale. Okay, what are you guys talking What's about? What's that about? You're talking about going to strip club. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, in, this, in Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> in Fort Lauderdale. Did you not get that? Yeah. I thought it was pretty specific. It, it yeah it leaves and that i think that's what he wanted he wanted to write these lyrics that you know i know what they mean to me but what do they mean to you yeah and he's super smart and, and getty and alex picked up on that like when he first joined the band it's like look at the books he reads listen to the words he uses in yes. sentences you know he's gotta <laughs> be able to write some lyrics but this also was a changing point for neil in that besides using some technology he was always kind of writing fiction he was writing stuff about the outside world, whereas mm-hmm. this one is a lot more personal. I mean, the analog kids subdivisions, that's him. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that that's, it's kind of a weird deal too. Once you open that door and you, and you, you know, you kind of let your mm-hmm. feelings out. It's one thing to write a story. Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Well, let's move on to Digital Man. Fourth okay. song on the album. Last song on side one, if you had the cassette or uh, the LP. Digital Man. This is definitely a lot more techno, a lot of keyboard and stuff in here. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, it sounds very kind of of the yeah. time there. Is this a metaphor for the modern modern day man working hard, working fast? Yes, and and is this is this the flip side to the analog? You know, the analog kid and then mm-hmm. the digital man. Okay, I think that's a little too on the nose for Neil, mm-hmm. um, and I think he would probably tell you that. I think I think they also got you know you're talking about Stuart Copeland before. This is definitely walking on the moon from the police with a there, reggae can, bit in the middle. Yeah. 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 There's, you know, you kind of a little bit that's influenced by it. I like that. It's different from what they've done before. This is a big change up. Yeah. And, and is this, you know, searching for information, getting, you know, bits and pieces from different places. I mean, again, are we talking about here? You're a, 
you're a man in a world, but you're still kind of in the same situation. You don't have all the answers. You're mm-hmm. expected to have all the answers, but you don't. So you've got to go to these different places and kind of cobble something together to look like you know what you're doing. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of different themes in here. It's got a force field and a flexible plan. He's got a date with fate in a black sedan. He plays fast forward for as long as he can. And he won't need a bed. He's a digital man. It's because he's just working. No sleep is mm-hmm. necessary for this man. You know, we'd love to spend the night in Zion. Been a long while in Babylon. Is this, you know, the end of that childhood innocence where you just have to work? You know, you're, yeah. you know, you, you, you're looking for answers, but you've got no clue. And in this day and age, you know, suddenly there's answering machines. All of a sudden there's starting to be these things called computers that they put on your desks that can kind of connect you all over the world. You know, Neil would freak out, you know, what's happening today as far as, you know, you don't have to work in an office. Everything is beamed in everywhere, you know? Right. And yeah, and so, okay, so that's an interesting concept, too. So if, if you were, let's see, 1982, if you were 40 in 1982, mm-hmm. coming out of the, you know, the paper, pencil right. world, now you're, now you're being, if you were 20, you'd say, and you're just entering the workforce, okay, this is what we do. We work with computers. We work mm-hmm. with, you know, voicemail and everything else. But if you're old school, you're like, whoa, 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 are you trying to scramble now to, you know, either catch up with this technology or get left behind? I mean, that that could be a very scary concept for somebody who was not ready for this. Yeah, and then there was a story that the Gary, uh, Gary, that Getty told, although his real name is Gary, that basically around this time, and it may have been on moving pictures, is a guy who came into the studio whose job was to capture everything digitally. And Gary's like, Getty's like, hey, you need a hand? He's like, no. Like he basically brushed everyone off like, I don't need anyone. I know what I'm doing. And he thought, well, the digital man's kind of a jerk, right? So <laughs> is it about him? You know, uh-huh. uh, I, I, I don't know. But I mean, it's, it's obviously part of a bigger theme. And the analog kid and the digital man are a dichotomy of something. I'm just not sure I know right. what it is. Right. I, I like the line too that says he's working under anesthetic, subdivided, and synthetic. Okay. So now we're bringing that. Are we bringing that theme back in a little bit? You just mm-hmm. kind of put that in there. Again, you're telling me that there wasn't really a theme in here, but I kind of think that maybe there is. Definitely is. And here we are in the 80s, the start of the Reagan era. Uh, where big business is everything, you know, and, mm-hmm. and unions are crushed and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting place to be. And obviously one when we were nine or whatever, when this came out. <laughs> you weren't really going to pick up we on We didn't pick up on that and we didn't really hear it, you know, uh, the way that I think he, he did uh, want us to. But yeah, I mean, essentially Terry Brown, who was their engineer and and producer for so long, this was the one that really he's like, I'm not recording this. This is crap. You know, we're not doing this reggae stuff. It's like, okay, Terry, why don't you go just take a little walk there? But, yeah, yeah, go take a break and we'll uh, we'll see you in a minute while we, while we record it. All right, so that wraps up side one. Side two starts with The Weapon, part two of Fear. Part one, of course, was Witch Hunt. And Neil said, you know, he found it interesting people ruling or using fear. Mm-hmm. to control people and to make decisions based on that, which has happened in society for thousands and thousands of years. I, I think it's, I mean, look, the big, the Super Neil fans are like, you can listen, you can read everything he's talked about on religion over the years. This is aimed at organized religions, right? This is about, right. you're using that fear, that lack of knowledge people have against them, but it's right. the knowledge they will have 
that will bubble up against you. And that's what you're afraid of, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And I think too, they're talking about, is that the same thing for, you know, you got to figure in 82, this is Reagan, you know, versus the Russians versus, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got these, we've got these weapons that can't, you know, like we can't ever use them because if we do, that'll be the end of the world. So you're afraid of that. And I mean, trying to remember back then being a kid. Yeah. I mean, I was really afraid of, you know, what was going to happen. I mean, the, the Russians were just these, this evil, empire who every day apparently they just thought about killing us that's what their mission in life was at least that's what you made me believe yeah no religion you're not allowed to you know uh, you're not allowed to leave you're not allowed to watch movies or listen to records or own blue jeans or which is ridiculous i mean you know to them it was a symbol of western fashion or it was people miners used to wear them because (laughs) they protected you while you were working and some you know you squeeze those down and look good on a woman you know i don't know (laughs) anyway but i mean there's so many lyrics in this he's a little bit afraid of dying he's a lot more afraid of your lion Mm. Uh, it's it's attacking those who use these weapons of fear Against us, which has to be politicians. And I know for Neil, he's going to burn a saddle over organized religion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and is this is this person who is so powerful, whether it be the head of the religion or the head of the country, are they just, are they living in fear that one day you're going to figure out that this is all smoke and mirrors and then turn the table on them? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like today's politicians, they're basically pandering to people who aren't that Right. And and they can kind of keep doing that for a while. Those are the people you can fool all the time. But eventually the people you can't fool all the time are going to hold your feet to the fire. You know. Well, yeah. And and you're talking about what's going on today. Yeah. You're afraid of this thing, this perceived thing. Well, I'm just going to stoke that. You know, you know, this is a problem. You know this, you know, they're coming for you or whatever it is. Yeah. And so if I do that, then you keep voting for me. So it's Mm -hmm. the same thing over and over again. Yeah. The iron fist and a velvet glove. We have all these weapons, these nukes. To protect us from the Russians. That's why we're safe, you know. And, you know, He's not afraid of your judgment. He knows of horrors worse than your hell. That's the church, right? Judgment, hell. Yes. That's mm-hmm. all about that, you know. So this is so well written. And sometimes it's kind of amazing that Getty can blurt all this out because they do the music and then they fit the lyrics right. as best they right. can, yeah. And, and it's kind of a cool thing because it, it ties the last record and this record together and then they would move on and do the next one on the next record grace under pressure so so again the enemy within right yeah i believe so yes so then it's like you know are all the rush records tied together i don't know i mean it's just they're creating this world that people want to live in i agree you know look it's it's neil being it's part of his philosophy he he cooked up for a long time Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm, i'm you know it comes through in a really big way here on this song how to use you know these weapons against the people you're supposed to be in charge of it's it's interesting um and and, and pretty good and and it's we were talking about chronicles before if you just get chronicles you've got subdivision and i think new world man right the two off of Mm -hmm. that but i mean and they're great and that's that's fantastic but you're missing a lot of content here like this one you know, if you if you don't listen to the whole record, and this is definitely one you should listen to all the way through. And I, mm-hmm. I it's one that when I listen to the last song, I'm I'm upset that it's over. And I, <laughs> I, I often will just say to the Echo, "Play that whole album again." You know, another round. Yeah, give me another one. But no, you mentioned New World Man. That's the next song, the sixth song, mm-hmm. or the second song on the second side. Once again, as we've heard over the years, 
and it, maybe it's maybe it's at this at Bliss Studio because that's where they were recording this. The say you know John Wetton when they did Alpha and maybe did they do did they do Asia's first album in this little studio? They might have. I don't know. I know they did Alpha. I'm not really sure about about Asia, but the fact of the matter, both the hits off both those albums, "Don't Cry" and "Heat of the Moment," were both the last songs that they wrote. Like Kaladner came right. back and said, "We need a single," and then they came up with "Don't Cry." You know there in, in the studio and it was the same way on this one they needed to even out the sides on the tapes like we need something else but it can't be real long so they come up with new world man which mm -hmm. is the shortest song on the record i mean it's under four minutes if i'm not mistaken here yeah it's 342 uh and it's the only one that's under four uh, because of a 43 plus minute record you, you know you're gonna have five and six minute songs but this is a short one and biggest hit they ever had charts wise, which was surprising for me to learn. Interesting. I, I was actually yeah. shocked to be honest with you. Huh. Um, Cause it's a good song, you know, and it came out at a time, you know, and it had a video which they played on MTV and stuff. So it's like, okay, new world band. I, I get it. But I was shocked to learn that it was, I mean, what did it go to? Uh, no, no, it hit number 21 on the Billboard singles charts. And uh, it hit like 42 in the United Kingdom. Cashbox Top 100, it peaked at 35, but it went all the way to number one in Canada. Like Canada's, Canada's finally like, okay, no, we, we do really like these guys. They had a huge success with the last album. New single and boom, yeah, it goes, it goes right up uh, the charts for them. So I was kind of surprised about that, but then I guess I never really understood the content of the song before. See, I'm going to tell you that like back in the Chronicles days, mm -hmm. I didn't like this song. I thought it was kind of dumb. I'm like, Ugh, moving on. But hearing it in the context of the rest of this record, it's phenomenal because it's a, it's a real, we, I mean, this is a hard right turn from the weapon. No doubt. The, yeah. It's a little light. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Slower it's, it's tempo. Way, yeah. It's way more upbeat. It's, and the message in it is very positive. You know, there's this, there's this guy and he's got a big task ahead of him, but he's going to do it. He's gotcha. Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, a lot of people think that this is just a song about the United States of America, right? Like he's, he's got a problem with his poisons, but you know, he'll find a cure because he can do right. a lot of things. Right. And it's about, you know, he's got to, he's got to match the beat of the old world man and that's right. Europe. And he's got to catch the heat of the third world man. The third world who need help from him he's so rich right. come and help us mr superstar you know and yeah he's 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 old enough to know what's right but young enough not to choose it that's america they could do amazing things but sometimes we do stupid stuff he's noble <laughs> enough to win the world but weak enough to lose it god that's so poignant it's right on so it could be a song about an american you yeah. know a young man who's like all right i've got enough I, I can do this. I can do great things, but I can also screw it all up, right? So to a lot of people, they think this is obviously about the U.S. Mm. I, I, and it might be, you know, I, I can't ask Neil that, but it's certainly about a young American who in 82, the world is at, at your feet, right? You can do anything, yeah. but don't screw it up because you screwed it up before, right? And yeah, and, and you know, you figure, especially in the United States in 1982, we're coming out of... You know, we're coming out of the Jimmy Carter era. We're coming out of the, you know, the gas wars. And I mean, we were in kind of bad shape there in the late 70s, early 80s. Now this is the new, you know, you're talking about new world, man, the new world of, you know, Reagan and everything is great. Everybody's making money. Mm -hmm. Everybody's successful. There's you know, MTV. Want... This is Correct. fantastic. Yeah, it, this is just a new 
a new era we're in and yeah, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to, are you going to make it better? Or are you going to screw it all up? Yeah. And you, you have the power to do it alone. What are you going to choose? Right. He's, he's wise enough to win the world, but fool enough to lose it, you know? So we, 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 I guess we kind of beat the Russians. Eventually the Soviet Union went away. It seems like the Russians are a bigger problem now <laughs> than they were during the Gorbachev years. But you know, that's, you know, that's neither here yeah. nor there, I guess. But yeah, and it, obviously we knew it, but you're right, because I wasn't really reading that subcontext. I too didn't love this song. I'm like, because you know, you get the two songs off of this record for Chronicle, Subdivisions of New World Man. I'm like, A, Subdivisions one of the best songs they ever did. Yeah. New World Man, he's a new yeah. I just didn't mm. like it. And I'm like, right. and the analog kid is so much better. I'm like, I'd much rather listen to that one. But I do have a newfound appreciation for it listening to it now and understanding what it's most likely about. Right. And how it fits into the rest of this record. And again, coming off of coming off of the weapon, you're like, well, I need a little break. And here you go. This is a little, while the message may be a little, a little rough, mm -hmm. the, the, the music is a little more upbeat. It kind of, it kind of, you know, soothes you because next is going to be next is tough. Next is tough, but I mean, again, is this about Neil himself? He's finally starting to sing about personal themes and stuff like this. He's about 30 years old. He's not trying to make it anymore. He's gotten the praise this, as this fantastic rock drummer, mm -hmm. winning awards and magazine stuff. He just had a huge album with big tour success. So, you know, what is he going to do now? Is, is he going to go out and become the world's greatest drummer? Is he going to buy a yacht and sink it off the coast of the Bahamas, you know, what, what's he going to do? You know, so he's old enough now to have the will and wherewithal to accomplish great things. Or will he just smoke a bunch of, you know, red apple cigarettes and, and drink his scotch all night? I, I don't know. You know. And he was probably struggling with that. He's like, okay, I have money. I have fame. I had the stuff that I was working hard for. Yeah. So now how, do, how do we, yeah. How do we, how do we keep that desire going? How do we keep that, you know, what did they say at the beginning? They were doing like 200 nights or something in a in a car even. And then they got to the van and the van was a, just a giant upgrade. How do you keep that hunger? How do you keep that fire burning when you've got a giant house that like, wow, I could just yeah. go back there. And like you said, drink scotch all night and listen Private to the jet. You know, you yeah, exactly. Right. But right. he didn't, right? He didn't take the jet. He let Getty and Alex take the jet and he would jump on his motorcycle with Michael and, and hit the back road. So that's how he dealt with it, you know, but, but yeah, so yeah, big single shocking to me. What was also shocking to me was they said there were five singles off this record. I said, no, there weren't, you know, there couldn't have been. But actually, there were. They, they came out with New World Man. It was their first. And it hit the charts big in Canada. It did okay in America. Then Subdivisions came out. Okay. New World Man was backed with uh, Vital Signs Live, which was off of, well, it may have been off of uh, uh, Exit Stage Left, but it was uh, originally off of Moving Pictures. Subdivisions was backed with Countdown, which is the okay. last on this yeah. and it did fine you know it hit some of the charts in america but it really kind of went on to become a huge just fan favorite but then if you look you know after that they did the analog kid was a bit it was kind of a promotion signal i don't know if it really even had a side b or not but analog kid actually got into some kind of chart somewhere and, and of course the, people like it and then allegedly they released the weapon. Now I can't find any information huh. on the weapon as a single. And then eventually I think they also released Countdown as some sort of single as well. So 
eight songs on the record, and five of them were eventually released as singles. I'm a little surprised. Yeah, that is that is strange because I I had it at three, which sounds about right for an eight track record. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Bizarre, you know. Uh, but let's get into the seventh song, "Losing It," because this is all right. This is a pretty special song in the Rush catalog, man. As far as the textures and the sounds and what mm-hmm. they're talking about on this, it's not that long of a song. It's not quite five minutes, and they do have a guest in here. Ben Mink comes in to play the electric violin, which is haunting on this mm-hmm. thing, man. This this song is brutal to listen <laughs> to, especially after the New World Band. You're like, man, right. and then it's like, okay, you like that? I'm gonna hit you with a two by four in the back because this is it's totally different. It's it, the the synth intro with the cello. It's it it sounds like a almost like a classical piece, mm-hmm. and then they get into the they get into the lyrics of it. And it's just like, oh, I need to lay down. This is tough. It is, yeah, no, and it's essentially about an old man mm-hmm. losing his skills. Correct. Can't can't do what he did what he used to do, and it's sad. You know, you're you're literally losing it. You're losing your ability to play the guitar. You're losing ability right. to swing a hammer. You're losing ability to write. I think there's a lot of Ernest Hemingway in there because, you know, eventually they sing the bell tolls for thee, bell tolls mm-hmm. for thee. That's about him. I also think that there's some more Hemingway kind of scattered around this record a little bit. But I mean, sadder still to watch it die than never to have known it. That's that's what it's all about. Mac Bornhauser can't play basketball anymore at 50. Well, who cares, right? right. He was never right. that great of a basketball player. <laughs> you know, he kind of peaked in high school. He was never really that good. But, you know, to see Michael Jordan or LeBron James, oh, they can't really run. They can't really jump anymore. That That's sad. It's sad to see the decline. And Hemingway couldn't deal with it. He couldn't right. deal with the fact that he couldn't box anymore or just bed women left and right or, you know, drink and go to bullfights all day. And eventually when his ability to write left him, he decided to uh, to put Take Dakota, into his own, yeah, yeah. Dakota on his own story right there, you know. So, so yeah, when they talk about thirty years ago, how the words would flow with passion and precision, but now his mind is dark and dull by sickness and indecision. Yeah, yeah. and he stares out the kitchen door where the sun will rise no more. Of course, the sun also rises was one of his big books as well. Some are born to move the world, to live their fantasies, but most of us just dream about the things we'd like to be. It's so true you know mm-hmm. it's you know how many times did i fantasize about being jimmy page but i never really practiced the guitar <laughs> right you know so so jimmy not being able to play the guitar anymore that's sad me not being able to play the guitar who cares couldn't, couldn't right. play it in the first place you know yeah so what's sadder me getting older and realize i never was good or jimmy getting older and saying i can't be good anymore right right and and for somebody like for somebody like Hemingway, that was his whole life is like he could just come up with these things. And then, you know, you get older and it's like, oh, you know, he's lost a step. And and now what am I now? You know, can I can I transition like for somebody like Jordan? You know, could you I can't play pro basketball anymore. I get that. But I can be a businessman. I can mm-hmm. be a you know, and I can be a, a team, spokesman. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can be a mogul. But if you're somebody like Hemingway, like that was your whole life was mm-hmm. these turn of phrases, these these uh, grandiose novels that people would read and just weep at how great you were. And now it's I can't do that anymore. 
Okay, well, now you're just nothing then. I think that's what happened to Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer fame Mm -hmm. uh, because he was having some physical difficulties and he was having a hard time playing the keys anymore. And he was about to go off on what was going to be his sunset. Okay, this is it, his last tour, I'm saying goodbye. Yeah. But he was reading all this online stuff like, don't bother going to see Keith Emerson. He's Mm -hmm. lost it. He can't do it anymore. He's not himself. And he ended up taking his own life, I think, because of that. And it's like, you're this world-renowned keyboard player, but you physically can't do it anymore. Well, yeah. if, if I'm not that, then I'm nothing. And right. I, I hate that. It makes me very sad. That was what happened. And I know that, in, I mean, not in 1982, but later on, Neil did mention the fact that since he would play at such a high level, he never wanted to not do that. Like he was either going to be able to play at a hundred percent or not play at all. Like mm-hmm. that was just going to be it. He was going to hang it up. Uh, so I wonder if maybe at this point in time, he was kind of thinking ahead a little bit, like there would be a time where he couldn't do this. Mm-hmm. And you know, how do you deal with that? Yeah. And you know, they quit in 2015 before he had the cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. because he's like, that's it. I can't, I can't do it anymore. And Alex's like, yeah, my hands are getting bad. Let's do one more while we still can. He's like, fine, I'll do it. You know, but then he's like, okay, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Don't ask again because mm-hmm. it's over. Even though Getty's like, you know, we could. Nope. <laughs> I'm done. I really am done. And then, of course, his, his sickness denied us ever having the chance to, to see him again. But, you know, we roll on then to Countdown. So, all right, so you could... <laughs> You could say the first seven songs, there is kind of a, a theme there about growing up and aging and taking on the problems that you right. face. Losing, it's obviously towards the end of life. And then Countdown, well, it's about being launched into space. So is that renewed birth? Is that a chance at immortality? I don't know. Well, now, wait a minute. Because they're, they're, they kind of fool you on this one because mm-hmm. it's called Countdown, mm-hmm. right? You've already had fear. You've already talked about, like, you know, military and, you know, what's going on. This sounds very ominous at the beginning. Like, uh, 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 what is this now? Are we talking about, like, you know, nuclear war or what's going to go on here? Then they kind of flip it and, like, no, we're in Florida. It's We're yeah. watching the, you know, the, the, uh, the which one is it? Columbia or whatever mm-hmm. go up. And, and just this hope of, you know, what lies out there, you know, what's... What's the next chapter going to be? Right. Yeah. And it's actually something we used to do at school. Being in, in Central Florida, we would occasionally go down to the pool and watch the space shuttle launch, yeah. even though we yeah. were, I don't know, maybe 50 miles away or something like that. Uh, once we get up above the, because it's not like there's any mountains in the way or anything. We're in Florida, you know, so we could see it, you know, all the uh, the gas and the exhaust coming out of there right. and going up the sky and uh, it was it was appointment viewing, right? Everybody would come down to the pool or go down to the lake and, and watch. It was it was pretty cool to do. And I think they tried it a couple of times. Like they're on tour. They're, they go to Florida. Like, okay, we got to scrap it today. So then they got to run them to the airport, fly them to Texas, make sure they get their show. They do another show in another day. It's like, okay, now we're going to come back and check it out. I got to tell you, or is it, you know, is it a countdown to nuclear war? Is it a countdown to the end of your life? You've already been losing it. You know, so is this now, re- but mixed with, this amazing thing like, well, maybe there is rebirth. Maybe we're going to the stars next. I don't know. I I have to admit that I didn't like this for the longest time because I never really liked sampling a whole lot. Okay. And and you can hear the control tower. You can Mm -hmm. hear the astronauts talking back and forth. And and I just thought it it takes away from the song. It's a little gimmicky. You're either covering up music that's not great or you're using it in spaces where you don't have good lyrics, which is rarely the case. 
for Neil. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I get it now, but back in the day, I was like, God, they kind of went out on a dud here. I mean, all the (laughs) the music I think is killer, especially towards the end, but they've got all that noise and and samples and people talking. I'm like, that's just unnecessary. It's either a good song without it or, you know, you don't need it. But that was just me. Yeah, I think if you listen to this track independently, you might not like it. But in the context of everything else, especially the last song where they're going to send you out, mm-hmm. yeah, it, I, I I really like this because it's it's kind of that that message again. You know, we're we're going, we're leaving one place, we're going to another place. You know, is it going to be better? What's going to be out there? There's there's hope in that, and and that kind of ties into again this entire theme of mm-hmm. you're in one place. You think this is everything, but there is somewhere else to go. What is it? Mm-hmm. it, it what is the what is the hope of the future? Is it Valhalla? Is it heaven? Is right. it the afterlife at the end of your life? Or is it just the next step of your life? Mm-hmm. Who knows? But it's it's kind of a I mean, look, the it's a little ominous at the beginning. The keyboard is right. a little ominous and it kind of goes back to the first song, subdivisions. It's got a kind of a chug and a charge. But it's not evil. You're right. It's a happy song. It's kind Correct. of a positive song. And Super Science Triumphs, that's a positive versus all the religious and the political nonsense, right? Like science is actually coming forward, right? So so that's good. Very keyboard first mm-hmm. and then guitar you yeah. know, afterwards. But now it, it makes more sense. And again, countdown, is that the countdown to the end of your life? Is it countdown to your next life? I think that's what the theme is. It's, it's kind of taking someone from teenage angst and uncertainty through to the end of your life and all the obstacles, all the different things you'll have to encounter along the way, you know, and that's, mm-hmm. that, that's it, right? I mean, subdivisions, you're in high school, analog kid, you're looking to leave home. Chemistry, you're falling in love, you're, right? you're figuring out that stuff. Then you get to digital man. Okay, now I'm a working man. I'm out here in society. The weapon is about how to rule people. New world man is how do I govern the earth? Mm-hmm. Right now I'm at the point where I'm in charge of everything and then losing it's like now I'm past my prime. Right. Now it's starting to fall out and countdown is just the countdown to the end. So there's obviously that theme running through it. Pretty amazing record for that man. It it it, it really is. And and I think one of the one of the big problems is that it comes right after moving pictures. Right. So again, d- does this one kind of get brushed? Yeah, yeah, they did that one, and then they moved on to uh, to other things. Uh, yeah, this is a great record. I, I this is one that I definitely did not appreciate until I, I really you know sat there and listened to the whole thing a couple right. of times, and you, you see how it flows one to the other. And I also get the fact that that like we talked about at the beginning here, if you're a classic Rush fan. This is the this is where it really starts to get stuck in your craw because they're doing new things, but again they're they're moving on to the next phase of their career. Trust me, you don't want them to be putting out the same record over and over and over again. No, they have to do new. No, that's part of why I like Rush because they do right. have these different eras, and not everyone is my favorite. And I got to tell you, although I liked Presto and Roll the Bones, I didn't love Counterparts, and half of Test for Echo I liked, half of it I really didn't. But this kind of starts off, I would call it the most controversial era of Rush, because it really did turn a lot of people off. It's like, why did you take the greatest power trio and turn them into the synth pop thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and their next few records, which went Grace Under Pressure in 84, Power Windows in 85, and Hold Your Fire in, I guess it was 87, it, they became more so, uh, more technology-oriented. Although, I, for me, Grace Under Pressure is another fantastic 
Rush album. And again, starting with Distant Early Warning and ending with Between the Wheels, which to me is the highlight. It's, it's, it's certainly the best song they did after Moving Pictures. I think it may be the best song they've ever done. Well, we'll get into that on a future episode Probably because I'm, so. uh, yeah, because I mean, I, I can't imagine not doing Grace Under Pressure because that, that that's another one that I think is if you listen to it all the way through, you're going to say that's a way better record than I gave it credit for. So I look forward to that coming soon. Yeah, coming soon. Maybe on its 40th anniversary, 1984, maybe between now and then we'll, we'll see. Yeah. It's only about 18 or so months away, 19 months. So we'll see. We, we kind of like to do it around these anniversaries that they have just because there's a lot of buzz around them. And sometimes mm. you even get like a new issue, right? Right. And that's the thing about Rush is, you know, for someone like the Rolling Stones, they might have a whole record's worth of songs that they did during those sessions that either never got finished or whatever. So if they do a Goat's Head Soup 50th or they do a Tattoo You 40th or something like that, it might have all sorts of cool new stuff on it. Rush is not that way. Mm -hmm. Rush didn't really have B-sides. They would take the worst song off the record and they would take a live version of something else. And basically, if something wasn't good enough to finish, they just abandoned it. They, mm. they wouldn't finish it. And so if there's eight songs on the record, they made eight songs during that session. That's it. There's no like secret stuff leaning. So when they can always remaster it, of course. But what Russia has been doing mostly is now they're putting in live concerts from mm. that era. Yeah, well, I mean, which is great to hear, but they're they're always and that's the that's what I really love though is that when you get that one track, we're like, why did you not include this? This is fantastic. But yeah, not with them. But speaking of that though, I mean, Subdivisions was one that they worked out on the Moving Pictures tour, and and they they played it live. They didn't just do it during soundcheck like maybe they did with Chemistry or some of the other songs they were working on at the time. Because that's what bands did. You would write the songs on the road for the next mm. album. And then when you got off the road, then you don't go in the studio empty-handed. You have some stuff to work with. So apparently there's a pretty big trading space among Rush fans to get those kind of bootleg 81 or early 82 okay. shows because you can get subdivisions before it was you know put on wax and have early versions of it, which I assume was very similar to the finished product. But I don't know that because I haven't really heard it. So maybe people can send us some or maybe we can find one of those. That, that would be great to hear. And could you imagine going to that show in 81? Like, okay, you know, moving pictures. Here we go. And then you get this. What? I've never heard this song before. What is this? What's all that keyboard in there, man? Yeah, That's, right. That's weird. <laughs> so look, I, I put this among, among my favorites. I mean, we've only – the seven and eight, show seven and eight were basically – we were still – creating our show we we're mm -hmm. kind of creating the foundation trying to let listeners know this is what we're all about and rush was so huge we had to do a two-part episode on them just in general and our personal experience with them but we haven't done a whole lot of records we've really only done roll the bones right since then. and this would rank ahead of roll the bones obviously yeah and that that's the that's kind of the tough part for me because roll the bones as we discussed on the show was the was kind of like our record because mm -hmm. it came out so i uh, no it's not as good by any stretch of the imagination but it will always have a special place in my heart for when it, how i got to know it and how that kind of got me into rush but yeah this is this is a fantastic record and yes better than roll the bones yeah well and roll the bones is longer it has more songs i think it has like 12 or something like that and four or five of them are great and when they played them live and look when mm -hmm. you camp out to see a band 
you're going to make sure you listen to every song intently, right? Correct. Yeah, and that's what yeah. Roll the Bones was for us. It was mm. it, not only was it, it the first show we camped out for it was our, my first Rush show, and for me it was like life changing, like. I'm never going to miss Rush again. I remember Kel and Spitz were with us, and they were like, yeah, that was great. That was cool. I'm like, I'm glad you guys liked it. But there's no way you liked it as much as I just did. <laughs> it meant everything to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I remember in that show, they I think like maybe the second song was Limelight, maybe, and they hadn't done it for a while. And so I didn't know anything about it, about the fact that they hadn't played it. But then when they went into it, the crowd just flipped out and so that was a really cool experience too because i mean i love the song and it's great but to hear it with everybody else is fantastic i agree no i, I remember second song sun yeah. division's like they're breaking this out now i'm like whoa you know that's gonna bring the house down and it, it really did i mean the lights come up the hands go up it was big when when you look at that set list from that show that 92 roll of bones show it's it's pretty phenomenal. We got we got a really good show. We didn't get any weird, like not weird, but we didn't get any like super deep track filler stuff. It right. was all pretty much right down the middle, mixed in with the new tracks. Okay, so now since you said that, although I yes. I know we've done this before, right? Just pull it up. Just we can refresh the memory here. I thought I will do the same thing here. Okay, so they have played Orlando quite a bit. Uh, it turns out, say 1992, March 2nd, 1992 at the Orlando Arena. I also saw them March 1st, 1994. At the, so almost two years to the date. Interesting. Uh, I saw them for for that. but And I remember, oh wait, it was Limelight was second, man, not Subdivisions. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they hadn't played that. So when, they, when he went into the riff, I thought the place was going to explode. Yeah. And Force 10 was such a great way to start, too. And I think they stopped doing Force 10 for the most part after this tour. I'm like, God, I love Force 10. Dude. Yes. Are you kidding yes. me? But the, when they did Subdivisions, they did it after Ghost of a Chance, which is which is off Roll the Bones. And it's a slow, it's a, it's a mellow, pretty song, mm -hmm. slow song, kind of a ballad-ish. And then, and then they do subdivisions. <clears throat> and that brings everybody back, right? right? Maybe you sit down during that one, not during subdivisions, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. Boy, that was a fun night. I mean, Force 10, Limelight, Free Will, Distant Early Warning, Time Stand Still. And then they got into the new ones. Dreamline, right. Bravado, which, which we bones. knew, yeah, which we knew really well. So maybe if you were, you know, Mr. Krusty Rush fan, and you're like, man, this is off the new record, yeah. you know, whatever. But for us, no, that was awesome. They fit right in. Yeah, and the radio was cooperating. This back then, radio used to play new rock songs by bands. Mm -hmm. They just, they really don't do that anymore. Of course, they're not making as many as they used to, I guess. But still, yeah. But Dreamline, that was the first single. That was all over the radio. They played yeah. that several times a day on uh, on the radio in Orlando. Used to love that. Yeah, I miss the old radio. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, but no, it was two years almost to the date afterwards. Third song, they did Dreamline, Spirit of Radio, and third song was Analog Kid, which they broke back out for the first time in a while. I looked at the stats. Since it was released, they've played it at 25% of their shows, which huh. is interesting to me. And obviously, they must have played it a ton on the Signals tour and probably the next couple of tours anyway. It did not show up on a show of hands, which is a live album that I went to. It was my go-to Rush album for years but uh, but no, I mean, they mixed it back in. So that was that's another great thing about Rush is they didn't play Losing It at all because it has an electric violinist and they it's just the three of them on stage. But when they did Clockwork Angels and they now have this string section with them, mm -hmm. then they could get 
Jonathan Dinklage, who is Peter Dinklage, famous actor from probably most famous from Game of Thrones, his brother to come out. Obviously, they did the the Clockwork Angel stuff with it, but he came out to do losing. It's like we can break this out now for the first time in forty or thirty years, yeah. I guess it was at the time. They have Jonathan Dinklage come out and play that, and I remember hearing it live. Like, wow, it's amazing that they broke that back out. But they're not afraid to break stuff back out because it's not like they had number one and top ten hits. They had hits, but they weren't huge, so that gives them some leeway on what they play. Right, and then you figure the people that go to that, the, the last one that I, the last show that I saw, I think it was Clockwork Angels, or it might have been R40, I don't remember, but I do remember seeing guys with like those, I don't know what they call them, like battle jackets, I think, mm-hmm. the denim vest with patches on it from all of these different things. I mean, these people were crusty. So yeah, you play losing it, they're going to know it. It's not like, oh, that's not a hit, get out of here. It's Absolutely. not, it, it, yeah, th- this was a band that they could pretty much play anything and people would applaud. And, and I got to tell you, on that tour, Let's see here. It was a Clockwork Angels tour. Yeah. They did break out a lot of those 80s songs, which some people have a problem with, right? It's like, no, you should be doing more 70s stuff, not the 80s mm-hmm. stuff, you know. My problem with Clockwork Angels is you should never play more than four or maybe five songs off the new album. And they almost did the whole thing. They did like eight or nine songs. And it's like, I, you know, obviously I don't know these songs very well because they just came out. But I mean, to start the show started with subdivisions then big money then bring back force 10 then bring back grand designs middletown dreams territories analog kid they brought the past back from presto which they say is one of their very very favorites you know Mm. so they they do all those and then they go into the huge clockwork angels which is a ton of it and then they go okay then they throw in dreamline and red sector a and yyz and spirit of radio and stuff like that i just you know was I glad I got to see it? You bet I was. Was it my favorite show? Not not really. Not really. It's just too much new stuff. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. They they were talking about that uh that this this is a tangent, but they were talking about that Iron Maiden record, A Matter of Life and Death, mm-hmm. which I think celebrated an anniversary. It I apparently on that tour, that's all they played. They played that record start to finish and said goodnight. And, and that's people it, huh? lipped out they're like no we want to hear the rip sorry this is what we're doing and so i think there is some of that you know you've got to i understand you're an artist and i understand that you you know this is what you want to do with your show but you're playing to an audience who i mean they're they're there to see the high the high spots too well i mean here's the thing iron maiden has decided to mix that up it's like one tour we will do greatest hits and mm-hmm. then the next tour we'll do you know you know, there's always going to be a couple of hits they're going to do they'll always play iron maiden you know, but they, they they maybe put a couple of older ones in there, and then they do mostly newer stuff because they recognize there's a lot of fans who just started to like them during Brave New World, and and when the band kind of got back together, and all the great albums they've made the last twenty, twenty two, twenty three years or so. I I think they should always have a nice chunk of hits in there. That's just me because mm-hmm. their catalog's too rich not to, but because their songs are so long and intricate and they can play two hours and only play about 13 songs. 
right? You don't get 26 songs like you do with the Rolling Stones or Rush. You get like 13 or something like that with Iron Maiden. So they kind of have to do a theme. It either has to be the old stuff or, right. or the new stuff a little bit, you know? So I'm still hoping to see them on Legacy of the Beast tour. It just was supposed to happen in America and then there was COVID and then I didn't want to go to a festival. festival. Yeah. My ticket for here in the Netherlands was at a weird place far away and I didn't even know if I was going to go there. So it's it just bizarre but I, I, I and you've never seen them at all so we got to get you yeah. out <laughs> yeah I've, I've, we've got to figure that out uh, and then so one rush like parting shot though for the south park 25th anniversary i just saw that i just saw that Kenny and alex phenomenal. did get together yeah. you know and and yeah. let and let matt you know play the drums for them and it's the first time they play together in public i mean in what eight years seven years something like yeah. that you know yeah and and i thought it was a great a great way to do it because it was a celebration. It wasn't, you know, they were special guests. It wasn't, they didn't even really do a show. They just guested at a show. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's great because you know, they still, they still have music they want to make. And, and there are still fans who, who want to see them play. And so I, I, I've, I've watched that a couple of times now. It's, it's pretty special. And of course, Alex has gone on to do Envy and Dunn. And there's some good songs off that. It's kind of a, a Canadian super group. He's, he's kind of put together. Getty's been focusing on, his big, beautiful book of bass. I think he's going to maybe make mm -hmm. a second one. He did donate a lot of his signed baseballs. He's this crazy, like, once he gets into something, he's way into it. He has one of the best autographed baseball collection yes. in the world. I know he donated a big chunk of his uh, uh, Negro Leeds collection to the Hall of Fame, which is pretty cool. And, and he, you know, just tracking down all those, keeping him busy. He's the one who really wanted to go on the most, I think. He's like, let's keep going. You know, we've got mm -hmm. this to a science. We do it first class. We do it the right way. We make a ton of money. And it's still <laughs> a rush, no pun intended, I mean, to get in front of our fans. That yeah. live that live concert action, you just can't replicate it with anything else. And they got to the point where they can really pick and choose. They don't have to do back-to-back -back nights. They don't have to go all over the world because they didn't do Europe that much anymore later in their careers. It's very North American, very Canada and U.S. oriented. So I don't know. I, I kind of sad for Getty that he's had to hang it up, but nobody, it's like losing it, man. Nobody beats the clock, you know? Yeah. There's a time yeah. limit for everything. And Father Time is the all-time intergalactic, undefeated champion. <laughs> nobody beats Father Time. <laughs> and every band, despite the fact that the Stones are still going, that the Who are in still some kind of form, it all has to come to an end at some point. And that's why, I guess that's why we do our show. So it never will for us. Right. Right. And then, and that's why, and that's, and that's too, why I like doing this because it, I don't want to say forces me, but forces me to go back and listen to these records, but like with a critical, right. you know, ear, like, okay, what are we, what are we trying to do? What are you listening for? What's, what's going on? What's really happening in this song? Other than just putting it on the car and just driving somewhere. Like, like, oh, oh man, I love this too. Da, da, yeah. Da, da. Yeah. Right, exactly. You're really trying to listen. You're really trying to find patterns in it. So yeah, that that is, and with something like this, it's it's very. There's a lot of layers to it, and it's it's awesome to peel the onion back and and make your own assumptions as to what's going on. Because I looked, I mean, I looked far and wide for like a signals interview. Like, did they ever talk about this? And the only stuff that I found was like promo stuff from '82. Like, yeah, we've got a new record. We can't wait to go out on tour. Right. I never saw them talk in detail about what's going on, which is maddening because you want more information but then again it can be whatever you want it to be when you yeah, listen exactly and check out music buzz because on a recent 
interview, when they did interview Hugh Syme, they talked a little bit about this record and how he chose the images for it and the photographer mm-hmm. that he worked with, her name's Deborah, and then a lot of other stuff. So obviously he's got a lot of uh, relationships that he can he can talk about uh, from over the years. And I, I remember talking about White Snake's 1987 logo and how he changed that. And, and subsequently he worked with a lot of folks in the 90s as well. He's done a lot of great covers over the years. So definitely check out Music Buzz and listen to those guys. Well, that wraps our discussion of Rush's Signal, celebrating its 40th anniversary here in the month of September in 2022. Really amazing album. Turning point for the band as far as their sound, as far as the way they recorded, the way they related to each other, the way they related to the world after the big success of moving pictures and the ensuing tour. and really set them up for the 80s. Now, a lot of serious Rush fans don't like Rush's 80s stuff, and we talked about that on the show. Personally, I do. I don't love all of it. But once you get into it, it's all very good. It all sounds like Rush. They say Getty was only doing keyboard. Listen to some of the great bass work he does, not only on this album, but go forward. Go to Grace Under Pressure. Go to Power Windows. Go to the even much maligned Hold Your Fire. There's some sick bass stuff on there. And Alex, of course, was still participating all the while, still delivering some heavy-duty solos, still delivering those textures. It's still Rush. It's just a different era for the band. And that third quadrant, the 80s kind of quadrant, those very techno, very keyboard-influenced, kind of wrapped up that quadrant with the live album of Show of Hands, which is also one of my very, very favorites. This is great. And you can't deny the power of subdivisions. I'm shocked that New World Man is their highest-charting single, both in the U.S. and Canada. I just never thought it was that big for them. And while it was big, I never heard it on the radio. But that's just me. The whole album's fantastic. I really miss Neil Peart now, both for his drumming and for his amazing lyrics. He's a great writer. You can read his books as well. It's not just reading his lyrics. You can read his many books and remember him that way. So as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss a point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Hey, you got to let us know. You can email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. Or tweet DM us at ugly underscore werewolf and at actionjack72. You can check out our YouTube page. You can check out our Instagram page. You can check out our website. Just please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Doesn't matter if it's Apple, it's Spotify, it's Amazon, it's Good Pods. Anywhere you get your podcast, please download, subscribe. Make sure you get that instant download. It just helps us move up the ranks which helps us find more rock fans like you. And hey, look, if you're thinking about it, give us a positive review on any of those sites, on any of those services. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you. And thanks, as always, to our partners at Pantheon Podcast, of which we are a proud member and so proud to be able to offer a VIP experience to Nick Mason's Saucer Full of Secrets during their U.S. tour this fall in September and October. Uh, You can check out pantheonpods.com backslash Nick Mason to check out more of that. And of course, thanks to our sponsors, rarevinyl.com or eil.com. Over a quarter of a million LPs, CDs, singles, tour programs, whatever you want in stock. And you can use the code podcast to save 10% off not only your first purchase, but all purchases over time. So if you're looking for some rare Rush stuff, whether it's European printed or first edition or just mint pristine condition stuff, go check out rarevinyl.com. And next week we do a little bit of a gear shift. You know, Jackson and I became friends in college in the early to mid 90s. 
which was the time of grunge in America uh, and around the world, but certainly America. And we're coming up on the 30th anniversary of maybe the best grunge album ever in Alice in Chains' Dirt, their second full-length album, which featured songs like Wood, Down in a Hole, Angry Chair, Rooster. Huge hits selling millions and millions of copies. But kind of, it's not the last thing they did, but it was kind of the peak for Alice in Chains. Drugs took their toll on the band and their members, and we're going to get into all of that next week. So for all you rockers, thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do the show without all of your support, and we really love to hear from you. Again, send us an email, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. Let us know what you're up to, what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear us talk about here. And to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.